We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome to Everyday Acupuncture. Today, my guest on the show is Brian Frank. Now, Brian is a medical doctor, uh, background in anesthesiology and uh, pain management, and he also does acupuncture. He's been at that for about 20 years. He's the president of uh, Acupuncture Medical Arts. It's a company that does books and charts on auricular therapy and Korean hand acupuncture, And in addition to all this, he travels extensively as a medical missionary. So he has just a ton of experience going all over the world practicing medicine and has a lot to say about staying healthy while traveling. We may touch on a little bit on that, too, in today's show. Brian, delighted to have you here on Everyday Acupuncture. Michael, thanks. I'm glad to be here with you. Great. So, I'm, you know, I'm always curious how people found their way to acupuncture. And, and I guess a little bit, I'm, I'm extra curious about how people with uh, a medical doctor background have found their way into acupuncture. <laughs> yeah, it's a good story because most of the physicians in the U.S. that do become involved in acupuncture, they do that after their professional training and very often after a number of years in, in practice. And and they realize that uh, conventional medicine, allopathic medicine, um, can be quite frustrating, and so they seek the benefits of acupuncture. Uh, my story was quite a bit different from that. Uh, I actually came to acupuncture originally uh, as a patient, and uh, I had a number of medical conditions and pain conditions that were not resolved through you know, conscientious, good doctors. Um, in the North Texas, Dallas area. And so after about three or four years of some significant problems, um, I was introduced to a classical Japanese acupuncturist. 
to the Dallas area. And so I actually became a patient, did remarkably well, and became very interested. In fact, I had already been interested in acupuncture uh, before I met Kenshi and, and became a patient and did very well. And, and that started a very long relationship. He and I are still very close, he, even though he's in his uh, mid-80s today. And it led me to study acupuncture. And uh, so I was involved in acupuncture, actually, before I even went to medical school. Wow, that's interesting. So did you study the Japanese varieties yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah. He comes from a um, traditional Japanese approach, and and so the you know training is much less formal than than say you know the uh, acupuncture training programs in the U.S. today. His personal training and his work with me was somewhat as like an apprentice situation, and. So then after all of my medical training and I was in private practice, I, I, I recognized that there was a need, or at least I perceived a need to formalize that training as a physician. And so I did that through uh, the University of California's Los Angeles UCLA Medical Acupuncture Program for Physicians. And, mm-hmm. and that was a great experience as well. Became very involved in the American Academy of Medical Acupuncture uh, which is the you know the physician organization for those that integrate acupuncture into their practices, uh, was on the board of that for a decade, served as president, uh, and then went on to serve as president of the International Council on Medical Acupuncture and Related Techniques, uh, which was a tremendous opportunity and experience. Uh, that group, ICMART, has international conferences every year, you know, in different locations around the world. So it gave me a, a great opportunity to travel and to teach and to lead. ICMART comprises about 80 or 90 different uh, medical acupuncture organizations, uh, and that includes medical, dental, and veterinary um, all over the world. And and so that represents probably, you know, 40,000 doctors or something, um, uh, and it was a great opportunity. Wow. You, you're a busy guy, and you travel extensively on top of this. Yeah, I travel for two reasons. Uh, one is uh, to teach, uh, which I've done for over 20 years all over the world. And then as a, a medical missionary, I've, I've gone and helped people uh, in little villages, uh, that people that have little or no access to health care. And so between those two, I've had pretty extensive travel over 60 countries on six continents uh, over the last 30 years. So it's given me a great opportunity to practice in a variety of different situations and really to see a lot of different uh, conditions than you would say just in a suburban practice here in the States. Sure. So this leads me into sort of the meat of uh, the program here, which is auricular acupuncture. Right, mm-hmm. using right. using needles in the ears, or I guess you can use lasers or other kinds of stimulation as well. Uh, what I'm curious to know is is how you came, well, a couple things, how you came to the auricular acupuncture, and how you use this in your practice. Well, I came uh, as I was formalizing my training through the UCLA Medical Acupuncture Program. I very quickly recognized that auricular therapy was the primary microsystem within the the greater acupuncture framework and that it was a system that could be learned fairly 
expeditiously as compared to say full body acupuncture and you know all the related ins and outs of the channels and the TCM concepts and so forth and you know I had folks that had shared with me as as providers you know the benefits of auricular therapy and how effective it was and so uh, auricular therapy was the first of the microsystems that I uh, delved into and I initially went to a class and took training um, as I did that and then put it into practice, then I found that, uh, in my mind at least, there was somewhat back then, and this was 25 years ago, there was uh, a paucity of good books and literature. Now, the most definitive books were from Dr. Noget in France, and so I had the opportunity to study under Dr. Noget and then ultimately through through his video type seminars and then ultimately uh, his son Dr. Raphael Noget we got to know each other and became good friends and and so that's been a, a significant relationship for 20 years as well so you know I kind of dived into the deep end in terms of auricular therapy finding very quickly that it was highly effective that it was uh, something that I was able to both incorporate into my practice very efficiently, and then uh, I had a partner for a number of years, and and we felt like that we could present auricular therapy in a way that was maybe a little bit more logical or a little bit more um, systematic than was previously presented, and so I have spent over 20 years teaching seminars, uh, both here in the U.S. as well as around the world, um, writing textbooks and uh, publishing charts and references and so forth on auricular therapy mm-hmm. and uh, atlases. and Yeah, you, you know, you never know where these uh, paths will take us. You mentioned that the auricular therapy is highly effective, and I suspect some of our listeners are scratching their heads. First of all, thinking needles in the ear, what does that do? And secondly, okay, needles in the ear, how can that be highly effective? What's going on here? Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at, in in, in my seminars and in my textbook, I go through the difference between the uh, French Dr. Noget's traditions of auricular therapy and those that are more the Chinese traditions. Um, Dr. Noget is appropriately the, the father of auricular therapy. He's the one that discovered the projection of all of the bioenergetics of the body from the macro body to the micro system in the ear. Um, and he did this back in the 1950s. Subsequent to his presentations, that that was um, disseminated through a German medical acupuncture journal uh, back in the 50s, and and that journal happened to be read widely in Japan, and and so it went from Japan or you know France and Germany over to Japan, then across the strait to China. And, of course, the Chinese very readily said, hey, this is a part of kind of what we do in acupuncture. And so the Chinese began to do numerous trials and studies to to see if what this Dr. Noget had discovered was real. And, and indeed, they found that it was. And, and while their presentations are a little bit different, when you go through especially the Noget approach, then uh, it's a little bit more complex and explains some of the differences you see between the French and the Chinese charts. But but Dr. Noget recognized that this is, in his mind, pure neurophysiology. And so the when we have a, a pain or a dysfunction um, in the body, then it is projected through the brain and then to the 
external ear, probably through the hypothalamus or um, corpus callosum. I mean, there's a number of neural pathways that are thought to be involved there. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he considered all his years uh, that it was a you know an absolute neurophysiologic presentation. So Dr. Nose found that the problems within the body or pain within the body would be reflected to the external ear and we can identify those points either by probing and finding tender points or eventually through um, electrical detection probes. And as those points are identified, they then can be treated and we can tap an acupuncture needle in or we can use laser or microcurrent technology. And, And that stimulus that we put in then goes from the external ear through the brain and spinal cord to the to that reflective area of the body and it not only leads to decrease in pain if that's the issue but it also leads to a restoration or a balance or equilibration uh, what we call homeostasis in conventional medicine mm-hmm. so it not only will treat problems but it will help to strengthen the system as well yeah, that's right. And in fact, um, it's not just covering up signs and symptoms. It's actually promoting uh, the body to heal and repair, uh, w- which is our ideal approach. You know, it's it's interesting that auricular therapy actually is the area of acupuncture that, that really opened the doors for acupuncture in America back in the early 70s. Because with Dr. Michael Smith's work in New York City with uh, drug rehabilitation, it was found that the recidivism rate for people that were going through drug treatment programs was markedly enhanced by adding auricular therapy. And this was previously, it was originally discovered by uh, a couple of surgeons in Hong Kong. And so Dr. Smith had read their reports and they incorporated those programs into Lincoln Hospital in New York City. And that has become the model for nearly 2,000 programs across North America in the Caribbean Basin for not as a solo treatment, but as an incorporated part of comprehensive drug rehabilitation. And so um, because of its high effectiveness in that area, that was a that was a real boon and a benefit early on to have the American community say, okay, maybe maybe this acupuncture stuff is worth considering. Mm, yeah, I have some experience with that myself. Going through the acupuncture program that I went through, we did a a number of shifts at the uh, detox center in Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for uh, people that it was a methadone center, actually, helping people get off yeah. of all kinds of stuff. And I got to tell you, the people there loved their acupuncture. Yeah, they, they really do. And, you know, I found very early on as I began integrating auricular therapy into my uh, acupuncture and medical practice that it was very well received. And, and I did use acupuncture needles initially, but I I became familiarized with a particular microcurrent device, and that's what I use and have used for over 20 years. Um, it very, you know, very efficiently 
identifies the points that are related to the problems in the body. And then while you're on that point, you go ahead and, and treat it. And as a, as a microcurrent device, it's um, the vast majority of people don't even feel a tingling or a stimulation. Um, and, and so it's very gentle for children and, and people who tend to be more sensitive. But you can use needles, you can use microcurrent, you can use laser, uh, you can use little pellets and magnets, and, and all of these things work. And, and so it becomes really just what is most comfortable within an individual practitioner's practice. Right. Now, these different forms of stimulation, microcurrent, magnet, needle, laser, do you see them working in different in different ways? In other words, if if you're dealing with let's say uh, acid reflux, and you're trying to help someone's digestion out, w- would you find that one way of stimulating the ear might be more helpful than another? Oh, that's a great question, Michael. Um, actually, no, I don't think that the means of stimulation really matters much at all. Um, in fact, you know, when I'm backpacking through the Alps or something, if my shoulder is hurting because of my heavy backpack and I reach up and find my shoulder point in my ear, I can I can identify the tender point and then when I find it I can literally just stimulate it with my fingernail. Yeah, just and give have it a great squeeze. effectiveness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so I don't think it really matters. There are certain reasons why various practitioners prefer one means to treat versus another. Uh, what I do think is important is really understanding the complexity of the ear because what Dr. Noze found is that the body is presented very, very precisely, and it's not only anatomically. A lot of people are fairly familiar with that, that it's an anatomical presentation. But he went on to realize that it was also an embryologic presentation, and, and that's why, unlike the Chinese system that just has the inverted fetus, the, the upside-down presentation, mm-hmm. um, in the Noze system, there there are three phases and those phases um, have been a big part of my teaching and writing uh, over more than 20 years because they represent the different presentations, if you will, of the pathophysiology. And so if, for instance, you just have a mild strain, um, then that's going to be what is the inverted fetus, what Noje came to call a phase one presentation. And yet if you had some very dense pathology, you know, if you broke your bone somewhere, then you're going to have what came to be understood as a phase two pathology. And then intermediate to those is a three phase pathology. And so it it sounds complex and it's very precise, um, but these three phases are real important. And I think that has the most to do with the success because um, you know, for the first decade or so, the, Dr. Noje and his colleagues and the Chinese just worked in that inverted fetus presentation, but it was found that people that had what they termed chronic problems at the time, that, that there was this dis- different presentation. Mm-hmm. And, and if you would additionally treat that point, then you would see greater success. And then ultimately, a third phase was demonstrated as well. And, and this made perfectly good sense because... As a body, we are embryologically developed out of three primary tissues, the endoderm, mesoderm, and ectoderm. And so this was viewed to be basically a holographic presentation to the ear rather than just a flat pictorial presentation. This is really interesting. Are you familiar with uh, Dan uh, Keown's work and his book, Spark in the Machine? No, I'm not. 
Okay. I interviewed Dan here on uh, Everyday Acupuncture uh, a month or so ago. And he's an interesting guy, also an MD, also an acupuncturist and, and deeply schooled in acupuncture. And he has taken a look at Chinese physiology through the lens of embryological development. Okay. And it is just mind-blowingly fascinating. And, and a bunch of things that we look at in Chinese physiology where we kind of scratch our head and go, I don't quite see that connection. If you go back and you look at where those things came from embryologically, you'll mm -hmm, see mm -hmm. the connections. So hearing you talk about the ear and the embryological map, so to speak, the, un the embryological underpinnings is really fascinating. Well, it, it really is. And, and you know, 98% of people that do auricular therapy come from the Chinese orientation through their TCM training, and they may not have even know who Noje was, or, or they may have heard disparaging things, but Noje was a genius. And, and almost all of the differences between the Chinese charts and the French charts can be explained by understanding this three-phase pathophysiology. I think there was some confusion through the years because early on uh, and through his life, Dr. Noje would refer to the phase one as the acute phase, uh, the phase two as the chronic, and the phase three as the intermediate and as I began writing and teaching, I realized that that was a little bit of a not as clear as it could be. And so what I've taught and written uh, for years is is the phase one is really the very functional, the very energetic aspect of pathophysiology. Uh, phase two is the very dense degenerative. Um, and then phase three is the intermediate inflammatory. And so so at any you know, if it's your low back that's bothering you, or if it's your shoulder, or if it's your headache, whatever it is, you can have um, concurrently a phase one and or a phase two and or a phase three. And so as I teach acupuncturists and, and uh, physicians in auricular therapy, I say, listen, it just takes a few more seconds to look uh, at those various structures in phase one, phase two, phase three. And, and if you identify an active point, in those other phases, you're going to do your patient much greater service to go ahead and treat those than if you're just operating in the simple phase one model. Sure. I mean, this is this gets into the difference between treating a, a symptom and getting down to the root causes that the symptom arises out of. Yeah, that's right. My mind is just going a million miles an hour here, hearing about this embryological thing. It, For some reason in my practice and in my discussions lately and in my readings, um, I've been reading some osteopathic stuff lately, and, and they delve deeply into uh, embryology as well. So you, you've sort of tickled my curiosity about all this stuff even more. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. Well, some of the variations between, say, the Chinese charts and the French charts, a classical one, for example, is the heart. 
in in the Chinese charts, the heart will be demonstrated in the inferior concha, the the central portion of the ear that's depressed uh, between the lungs, and and that seems to make sense because our hearts are between our lungs. But as Dr. Noget identified, the conchal region was corresponding to the phase one endoderm. The greater the the upper outer portions of our ear in phase one corresponded to the mesoderm, and and so you, and then the ectoderm, the brain, spinal cord, special nerve structures, and so forth was the tragus, the antitragus, the lobule, and and so these were very very precise, and so. Dr. Noget has the heart presenting it up at the um, antihelix, and so you say, well, what's the difference? Well, in fact, phase two uh, mesoderm, where people have heart problems, and so they would have angina because they have coronary vascular disease, well, that arteriosclerotic coronary vascular disease is a very dense degenerative pathophysiology. And so what the Chinese recognized symptomatically as the heart was exactly right, but it's because it was embryologically, you know, a mesodermal structure of the heart, but presented in a phase two condition. So you had to get into that mesoderm to to really affect the heart at that deeper level. Yeah, yeah. And so I teach, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, well, you know, which is right? Is the Chinese system or the Noget system right? Well, they're both right, but they were derived differently. Uh, Dr. Noget, being a, a neuro, neurologist and, and physiologist, was he, he understood very readily that things were presented in an anatomic as well as an embryologic way. And the, the whole research that the Chinese did was based basically on review of systems and symptoms. And so that symptomatically it made sense that uh, people that had heart disease um, they often had an active point in the inferior concha but it wasn't until Dr. Noget recognized that was a phase two condition so that Chinese heart location is is the same as the Noget phase two heart so you can you know it's also like the Chinese will put the uterus up on the superior aspect of the ear, mm-hmm. um, but that's actually what Noget would say is that that's where uh, in phase two you have the brain structures of the uh, hypothalamus and pituitary and thalamus and so forth, and these are the structures that actually you know, are responsible for uh, follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone and, and all these things that have to do with a woman's cycle. And so, you know, symptomatically, as the Chinese did their studies, they found active points up in that region. So they said, ah, that must be the uterus. But again, Noget was very, very precise in understanding embryology as well as anatomy. and Well, and physiology as well. I mean, sure. a deep yeah, okay. understanding of how not just what the pieces are, but how the pieces connect and how they all interrelate with each other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'm curious here. We got this French doctor, Nogier. How does he, how does he get interested in looking at ears and, and treating people? There's got to be a backstory here or something. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not your everyday person that's going to wake up one morning and go, I know, I can – help people be healthy by tweaking on their ears. What tipped him off? What got him going on this line of inquiry? Yeah, it's it's a great story. In Noget's day, uh, and he was in Lyon, France. Okay, and what was his day? When did he live? Well, he lived until uh, the late 70s or into the 80s. I, th- I think he lived into the 80s probably, but 
Well, probably not. But but I mean, you know, he was really big. He discovered the microsystem, if you will, of auricular therapy in the fifties. And in that day, there was a um, there was a French woman named Madame Barine, and her father had learned to cauterize. So literally taking a, a little metal implement and putting it in a, you know, like a flame, a Bunsen burner and cauterizing what many people now know as a sciatic point. And he was taught this uh, technique by a Manchurian uh, to, to pay a debt for something that her father had done for him. And so he in turn shared it with his daughter. And, and so Madame Barine was actually quite active in, in France and in these days in the forties and fifties. And she even uh, she treated a very famous Parisian operetta star who had been treated by numerous well-renowned doctors in Paris, but they couldn't get her well. And so this opera star asked for Madame Barine to treat her, and, and, and Madame Barine said, well, I will, but only if you come and bring your doctors with you also. <laughs> and and so they arranged for this uh, opera star with at least a couple of her doctors to come and see what Madame Marine would do. And indeed, she she lit a little wire, you know, a little metal wire in a flame, and she cauterized this part that we commonly call the sciatica point. Um, and she very promptly resolved her back pain in her sciatica. And so it was really quite remarkable. And and uh, so Dr. Noget, in his practice, he began seeing people who had seen the madam and had little scars, little cauterization scars on their ear. And, and he would ask, he'd say, why do you have that? And they'd tell him. And he'd say, well, did it help? And they'd say, oh, yes. And, and very commonly, it would help immediately, or sometimes it would take a few days or something like that, but but there was a high rate of success. So he started looking at that, and, and his aha moment um, was really remarkable because he was a French physician. Uh, he was a neurologist. He, I think he was an engineer before he went into medicine. He practiced acupuncture, and he also was trained in what in American terms we might call chiropractic or osteopathic, so he was trained in manipulative medicine too. And and so one of his mentors in manual medicine said, remember, Paul, uh, sciatica is a problem of the L4-5, meaning, as we commonly know, that the lower lumbar segments in our back, when they become degenerative and so forth, that often leads to sciatic symptoms. So the real genius of Noget is that he thought, well, maybe this point is not a sciatica point. Maybe this point is a lower lumbar point. Ah, And, and he said with that, he said, okay, maybe that lower lumbar points being projected to the ear. And if that's the case, then where are we going to see something if we have a neck problem, for instance? And so the, the axial skeleton, the vertebral skeleton was the first part of the body that Dr. Noget mapped out very precisely along the anti-helix in an inverted fashion. And from there he went on, um, in his original uh, presentation at a European medical acupuncture society meeting. It was very, you know, well received with great interest. And and that's when the German uh, medical acupuncture publication requested and received permission to to publish his presentation and his 
first initial mappings, and that's what then went to Japan and on to China and started the whole story. So it's it's pretty remarkable, but it was because he was, you know, he, he was that very complete amalgamation of being a physician and neurologist and uh, acupuncturist and, uh, and a uh, uh, manual practitioner that he looked at things anatomically rather than symptomatically. Yeah, and clearly a bit of a divergent thinker as well. I mean, to yeah. be able to yeah, he, take he these was out of wild and, yeah, he was out of the box. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that here's this uh, French doctor who, who knows acupuncture. Most Americans probably don't know that acupuncture has come to the U.S. quite late in the game, so to speak, that it's been in France for a long time. In fact, some of the oldest books oh, that centuries. we have. Yeah, yeah centuries. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's it's fascinating and curious to hear this story of some old Chinese guy who's paying a debt to this Frenchman, teaches him something like this that he passes on to his daughter, and and you know eventually it winds its way back to China. Yeah, yeah, it's it is really quite remarkable that the Chinese, even back in oh fifty seven or fifty nine, you know, back in that time, uh, they did recognize Doctor Noje as the father of auricular therapy, and and in a public publication you know gave him that credit so that sometimes has been you know swept under the rug in in recent decades which is unfortunate um uh, i've always taught people that i don't see any reason at all you you don't have to argue between you know uh what's better i mean they're, they're both a part of the auricular therapy history and and so um I think the importance is understanding what are the differences between Dr. Noje's system and the Chinese system. Then you have a, a more complete understanding and a greater ability to help your patients. Yeah, right. And that's, of course, exactly what we're here to do. I've got a question about effectiveness. I've had people come to me at times with staples in their ears or, um, yes, yeah, staples, actually, that they got usually from a chiropractor, uh, because they wanted to stop smoking or they wanted to change their eating habits, that kind of thing. And so evidently it, it, it's been used this way to help people with some habit change. Now, I do more full-body acupuncture. I do a mm-hmm. little bit of auricular. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'll tell you, the more we talk, the more I want to come down and study with you because <laughs> – this connection with the embryology is just it's you know like ding 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 okay i i'm I'm seeing connections here that i'd never seen before but i get phone calls all the time people say hey i want to quit smoking can you make me stop smoking hey i want to lose 50 pounds can you make me lose 50 pounds yeah yeah what what what's your experience been with this kind of thing using auricular acupuncture because there's a there's an awful big idea out there in the world that this will magically transform you what's what's your experience been yeah you know just just like body acupuncture it's not magic it's it's uh, energetics and physiology um you know even even in conventional body acupuncture whether you practice from a tcm tradition or my my initial tradition i've studied tcm but my initial was through a classic uh, japanese approach there's you know great great uh, effectiveness with korean uh, acupuncture and vietnamese and so forth so you know um but but with the uh, auricular 
there's a, a great benefit for many people with respect to pain issues, uh, but also with respect to functional organ issues. So whether it's menstrual or whether it's uh, asthma or whether it's gastrointestinal, um, you know, these are, these are all areas that are perfectly uh, appropriate to consider the application of auricular therapy. And then we get to the psychobehavioral things uh, like addictions or like depression and anxiety and so forth. And uh, curiously, Dr. Smith would tell us that uh, him being a psychiatrist uh, and the, and kind of the father of North America's um, acupuncture detox programs, uh, he would tell us that, um, you know, those areas are extremely responsive uh, to auricular therapy. Now, I will say I am not a fan of the staples at all. Uh, because many times the staples they're using are these just like these little staple guns that are used in surgery and and uh, they're actually fairly crude compared to the actual semi-permanent devices that are designed for the ear. Um, Dr. Noget designed a, uh, a device many decades ago uh, you know that's very fine finely uh, and precisely made and, and very safe and and so, that was called the ASP, uh, which which standard stood for uh, acupuncture semi permanent. So it was a semi permanent needle. Uh, ASP needles are great for that. There's other good ones that are small tacks or small, almost like tiny little bitty hat pins, you know. And mm-hmm. so there are a number of those that are good. Uh, you can also use magnets, or you can use the the ion pellets. Um, you can use seeds like vicaria seeds so all of these things will provide a stimulus and uh, i would personally i don't use the uh, the staples at all if i if i'm going to use a needle type device i use a tack or a asp but in fact many of these patients will do very well now you can't make somebody quit smoking and you can't make somebody lose 30 pounds but it very definitely has an effect on brain physiology and even you know during my very first auricular therapy course that I went two years ago we had a nurse that was in the course uh, and a smoker Uh, we had her hold her cigarette and smell it and light it up and stuff and then we treated her and uh, you know very promptly after treating her even to her it smelled as disgusting as it did to those of us who are non-smokers. So there is something that goes on. It, it very definitely decreases addictive behavior, decreases um, cravings. And, and so it can be very effective, but it shouldn't be used casually. So I share with patients and with, with providers that uh, it, it can certainly be a part of a um, – a program to get off of smoking or to get off of alcohol or to get off of food uh, excess and that type of thing. But for instance, I would never treat somebody for weight loss and not present to them proper nutrition, proper activity uh, and things as well. Right. That I find that to be really important as well. You know, one piece of it is, are you really interested? Do you really want to do it? And the second piece is, uh, take out the things that are causing the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's a, a part of the care. I have done through the years. I've done a fair amount of smoking cessation and, and quite successfully, um, because I'm not 
associated with a rehab center, then I don't do drugs and, and heroin and crack and stuff like that. But it is appropriately a, a part of those comprehensive rehab programs. Yeah. And so uh, I think it's important to know that it's available and to know that it's not just a casual thing. I mean, there's probably about 2,000 drug detox rehab centers around North America, Caribbean that, that utilize auricular therapy as an integral uh, part of that overall therapy program. That's incredible, isn't it? What are some of the ways, I want to move into your, your traveling experience here, because it seems to me that being able to get access to the ears when you're out in the middle of nowhere and don't have a whole lot could really give you some leverage on some problems. How do you find yourself using these auricular points and these auricular methods when you're out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, well, very effectively. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, if I'm carrying a backpack through the mountains and my shoulders are getting sore, uh, I'll reach up and find my shoulder points and, and, you know, they'll be tender and and I'll stimulate them and and I'll see a good clinical effect. So it could be uh, a pain situation literally from head to toe. So if, you know, if somebody's out on the trail and they sprain their ankle, then we know the phase one, two, and three points to look and see if that point is tender or now the the detection devices the electrical devices now are compact enough that i i typically travel with one of those as well so that that makes things uh convenient but you don't have to have that you can use your fingernail or you can use the you know um a ballpoint pen or pencil or something to to as a probe but whether it's a pain problem or whether you're having you know some wheezing or whether you're having some gi distress i mean you know auricular therapy has demonstrated its appropriate application in a wide variety of these problems and you see all these when people travel yeah well, and it's, it just seems to me, too, that the tools that you would use are so simple. Like you just said, you could, you could grab a pen. You, you know, I'm thinking, gosh, you could just about grab some bailing wire and chewing gum and uh, be able to help people. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a tremendous microsystem, just incredibly um, diverse in, in, you know, what are appropriate applications there. And, and one of the great things is that, in my courses, and I teach uh, comprehensive auricular therapy, I want people to understand some of the history. I want them to understand the difference between the French and the Chinese. I want them to understand pathophysiology. But, I, you know, I don't burden them. They don't have to uh, get nervous. You know, it's not that difficult. But, but in a weekend, you can actually learn uh, these three phases and, and go from either no training at all or basic training to very comprehensive training uh, in a very efficient period of time. And, and literally for your patients or for your own uh, yours and your family's own health and wellness um, have a tremendous resource there uh, that can, can be applied in a very sophisticated way with lasers and microcurrents and things like that with, with just classic acupuncture needles or with, um, you know, your fingernail if you need yeah. to. You actually just answered the question that I was about to ask you. I've, I've noticed, I spent a little bit of time in Asia, and there's a bunch of stuff that's just in the culture, right? So it's like there's not a grandma out there that doesn't know how to use a set of cups and, and do some gua sha, mm -hmm. right? And there's yeah. a bunch of herbal medicine that it's just kind of embedded in the culture there. Sure, sure. So 
it seems to me that this kind of thing, of course, it's helpful for anyone who's you know working as a medical professional. But like you were saying, people could learn this just so they can help themselves, help their families, help their from you know just be of service to their community in a way. So the classes that you teach, you you teach both professionals. But if if somebody just had an interest in it, they could come and study as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I've done that as well, and you know I'm also very pluralistic in the sense that I, you know, I I train doctors and chiropractors, but I train acupuncturists and massage therapists and nurses. And, um, and like you say, just lay people who, who are interested and want to know how that may benefit them and their family. And also I have my training on DVD. So that comes as really a package of DVD with the Atlas and the charts and a very comprehensive syllabus all together and and you know it's it's a, a very well received it's very systematic and logically laid out uh, the DVDs are actually produced in a studio rather than in a live seminar because in a live seminar you've got you know many times somebody's paying attention to something going on outside the window and they, and they ask a question that you just answered moments ago. So you have a lot of distractions in the live seminar. And so we were pleased to be able to do the seminar in the uh, studio uh, to, to really make it an efficient presentation and broken down into chapters so people can go back and look at a chapter again if they want to. But yeah, no, this, this is something, in fact, auricular therapy, once the Chinese did their original uh, investigations to verify what Dr. Noje had presented, then there's some wonderful printings and pictographs and things like that of the the barefoot doctor programs that were established. And auricular therapy was a very, very important part of that because, again, you could very efficiently teach a low-level practitioner how to really help a lot of people in a short period of time. Yeah. I suspect all this is available on a website of yours. Yeah, I have a website. Great. Why don't you give us that website address? And, and I'll also put all of this stuff on the show notes page. So people can just, from the show notes page, click right over to it. But, but give us your website real quick. Uh, my website is www.auriculartherapy.com. Brian, any other thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we wind this thing down? Well, I would simply encourage that, you know, professional acupuncturists, chiropractors, physicians of all ilk, uh, as well as um, lay people that are interested. Uh, In fact, I even wrote a book, Michael, called The Layman's Guide to Auricular Therapy. It's a a fairly compact way for a lay person who's not steeped in medicine and pathophysiology and stuff like that to, to learn the benefits of how auricular therapy may help them and learn how to seek out a provider, whether that's an acupuncturist like yourself or a medical acupuncturist like me or a chiropractor that does acupuncture, whatever. And so uh, that book was specifically written to the light community to make them aware of the benefits of auricular therapy and how that might benefit their lives in a very positive way. That sounds great. I, I think I might need to get a copy for my waiting room. I just like to put resources in the hands of my patients because as much as I like to see my patients, I like it even better when they don't need to come see the doctor. Yeah, the whole purpose of that book was to facilitate and, and help a patient know how, how you as their provider are going to be able to help them. And they also learn some DIY stuff that they can do on their own? Oh, sure. Yeah, great. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much for making time to be on the show today. This is this has been a delightful talk. 
and uh, you've just thrown another log and some rocket fuel on this uh, embryological <laughs> thing that's got my attention lately. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week. Thank you.